welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. Today's Beef Watch Podcast is the first of a series of four podcasts that comes from the Silage for Beef Cattle Conference that was held online during the month of July and hosted by Nebraska Extension, Lolliman Animal Nutrition, and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. The first of these topics that we're going to talk about today is focused on silage production under dry conditions or limited irrigation. To discuss this, I'm joined today by Dr. Jordan Bell, who's with the Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Service. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Bell. Thank you for having me. Well, Dr. Bell, this is a really timely topic, I think, especially in light of what we're looking at across much of the Great Plains, especially in the Southern Great Plains right now, with the very dry, hot conditions that we've been having this summer. Uh, this is really the focus of your topic that you presented at the 2020 Silage for Beef Cattle Conference, looking at silage production options with limited precipitation or irrigation. Give some perspective on some things that are options available to producers today and maybe some things that they might want to think about as they think about silage production under these circumstances. So, of course, as you mentioned, you know, this season's setting up to be a very hot, dry season in the southwest and southern Great Plains. And we are seeing that drought just continuing to develop and spread. And even though there has been some precipitation move into the region up into Kansas and even to areas of Nebraska, um, in the Texas High Plains, the precipitation we've received has been very localized. And often where that precipitation has been received, there's been hail that has accompanied it, or it's just been very intense and a lot of it has run off. And so this is just such a timely topic this year because we're looking at how we're going to meet the forage demand moving into winter under these stressful conditions. And of course, one of the first things we notice when we start talking about water stress is the impact on not just quantity, but quality. And that's really where the end user comes into play. And as we are starting to look at what decisions we're going to make we really do need to keep in mind what does the end user need. Um, I know in parts of the U.S., oftentimes, you know, the, the end user is growing their own forage. And on our dairies in this region, we have a lot of dairies that produce their own forage. But still, we have a considerable amount of our forage and silage crops that are contracted. And at the farm, that farmer is thinking quantity because that's what they get paid on. And the, of course, the end users often thinking quality. And so there really does seem to be a disconnect in that arena. And I think that we can often mitigate issues if the end user and the producer are coming together and know what they're looking for. And generally in our, our beef cattle feedlots, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, just a roughage because a smaller fraction of that ration is going to be made up of a silage crop. But as dairies have expanded across the Southern Great Plains, we're really seeing where it's no longer just a roughage. We're really looking at um, higher um, TDM values, higher feed quality. And so it really becomes at this point, what can we do to preserve that feed quality? Of course, you know, depending on, you know, the price of commodities, oftentimes, as long as we have that roughage, you know, to add into that ration, 
we can come in and supplement some other, you know, whether it's you know, starch sources or protein sources or whatever to make up for poor quality silage. But nevertheless, if we can get everything all in one package, like we can when we're managing silage correctly, it becomes a win-win. So as we move into this season and considering the drought, I do think it's important that people are scouting their fields. And if it, we have fields that are drying down too quickly, that's a big key because, of course, if we go in and we chop that silage and the dry matter is too low, it's not going to pack. We're going to get air trapped in those silage pits. And that's where we really start to run into issues with fermentation and we lose quality. So, Dr. Bell, talk a little about, obviously, we have situations like this year where we have a drought and we're we're getting limited precipitation. So specifically for dry land production of silage, that's a major issue. But there's a lot of parts of the Great Plains. Uh, you're at the probably base of it. But as we work our way north, looking at a lot of scenarios now, especially western Kansas and in, in Nebraska, where we just have limited availability of irrigation water or we're on pumping restrictions, share with us some perspective on some options for people as they think about silage production with limited irrigation. And what are some maybe uh, different ways to think about that and to still get the most we can in terms of quantity, but also, as you talked about, make sure we have a quality product? Yeah, for sure. So I would say, you know, across the whole Southern Great Plains, we have to have the irrigation to stabilize that production for our silage crops. And so as we increasingly face, whether it's declining well capacities or pumping restrictions, I am working with producers who are looking for those alternatives. And that is really where we have seen our forage sorghums become a, a better player in this arena. And as we look at the hybrids that are available today versus the hybrids that were available 30 years ago, it's phenomenal to see both the quality and the quantity that we can achieve with forage sorghums. And under irrigation, we see forage sorghums, especially even limited irrigation, forage sorghums maintain quality very similar to a corn silage crop. Now, I'm not going to say that you know, under ideal conditions, sorghum is going to beat corn hands down every day. That's not the case. You know, there's a reason why we have used corn for so many years as that standard because corn is stable and does have the high tonnage potential. But we have the hybrids today in our forward sorghum arena um, that allow sorghum to be very competitive. And the great thing about the forward sorghums is that there are several different sorghum types that can be chosen that really fit both an end user's needs as well as a producer's desire to achieve higher tonnage. So um, I do think as we are looking at the future and considering this vast area of the Southern Great Plains that has pumping restrictions and declining well capacities, as well as, of course, just this, this large livestock region, we really can turn to those forage sorghums to fit that forage need. Dr. Bell, talk a little about how a standard corn that we might think about for and use as silage, and then sorghums compare to one another in terms of water use efficiency. How do those things match up? Definitely. So 
I would say, you know, of course, we, we know that corn is going to have a very high water demand, that seasonal cumulative water demand. Um, I do think that we need to be very realistic as we start talking about the, the water demand period for the two crops. What does make sorghum so much more efficient than corn is that sorghum has a deeper rooting system, so it has the ability to scavenge water. Sorghum also tends to have a waxier leaf coating, so that does help with some of those losses, the, the, the stomatal losses, and, and, and helps minimize that. Sorghum has the ability to shut down during periods of stress. Now, when we look at our peak water demand period, if we're trying to maximize production, corn often has a water requirement of three-tenths of an inch per day. Sorghum also can have a water requirement of up to three-tenths per day, but that's under peak ET, peak irrigation demand periods. But again, sorghum has the ability to shut down and not lose quality if you cannot make that um, irrigate or meet the irrigation demand. So, you know, that's something that really does help with the efficiency because when we start talking about water efficiency, um, it's really the ability to also maintain yield under water stress. And so that's where we can see that with lower water use, sorghum is generally going to make more tons than corn at, at lower water use. So that gives it the ability to have a higher water use efficiency, which is for, for forage, the amount of tons per inch of water. So sorghum will have a higher water use efficiency. Now that said, I think it's really important for producers to also consider the maturity class they're growing. And it's, it's not uncommon for a producer to be drawn by a photoperiod sensitive or a high tonnage hybrid for the tonnage, for the revenue that they can generate. But it's also a lot of those photoperiod sensitive hybrids are going to be growing for an extended period during the season. So if we have an actively growing crop in a field for four and a half months, it is going to use a lot more water than a crop that's in that field for three months. And so as we start considering what we can do with the water supply we have, we need to be considering the maturity class. And it's not any different than we would do in our corn crop anyway. When we're in a situation with limited well capacity, we are looking at the hybrid maturity class. So we need to give our forages that same consideration. What is the maturity class that I can grow so I can achieve the tonnage that I desire? And so as we move into this area and, and we are looking at maximizing production with limited water. First and foremost, we need to understand how much water we have and match our maturity class to that water supply. Dr. Bill, I think one of the challenges, and you mentioned this early on in our conversation, when we have really hot, dry conditions, getting that crop, whether it be corn or sorghum, chopped at the right time where we have the right moisture can be a challenge. I guess give some perspective from your research and based on what you've seen, does sorghum have any advantages to corn in terms of, I'm going to use the word elasticity, meaning you've got a little wider window or a little more flexibility in chop time than maybe you do with a corn crop that, uh, you know, if it's starting to fire and, and curl, we've got a pretty narrow window there where we can get a quality crop put in. What's your perspective on that? So I would say, unfortunately, we don't have that ability. 
And I know that that can be very frustrating for uh, producers, especially for the end user. And what becomes even more problematic for forage sorghums is the berry size. And that once that sorghum starts to mature and we transition from soft dough, which is the ideal harvest window, into hard dough, those berries are no, they are, are much harder to process with a kernel processor. And whereas in a corn crop, even as we're starting to dry down and transition, those kernels are larger and they are still going to crack. And even though our dry matter might be a little lower than um, is ideal, we're still getting that grain processed. And, you know, that, and that really does help some with the quality. But in forage sorghum, that's not the case. And, of course, another challenge with forage sorghum is the berry size and the fact that that berry size varies so much across hybrids but then also the environment really affects the berry size and that grain fill period. And so as we look at trying to maximize quality with forage sorghums, it really is important that we are trying to target that soft dough stage. Um, and of course, when we look at how we're packing, the, the, the moisture, depending on the packing, or, or the method of packing will vary somewhat, but ideally we want to be in that 65 to 70% moisture, 30 to 35% dry matter range. And so we really do want to target that soft dough window for that reason. As you look at our current circumstances, and I'm guessing in your part of the world, silage harvest is not that far off actually in some cases. What are some things that producers may want to pay attention to specifically this year as they think about harvesting silage under dry conditions? Well, so yeah, we generally start to see some of the earliest silage crops start to come off in late August. And so I think that as we are moving into this period, we really want to be out there sooner and start scouting and looking, you know, making sure we're paying, staying on top of our insects. We have um, spider mites that are starting to flare across the region in our corn crop. And with the hot, dry conditions, we're really seeing that become a problem. And we will see our crops start to dry down and lose quality so much more quickly, our corn crop with the spider mites. As we move into August, this is also the period where we start to see sugarcane aphids move into our sorghum crop. Over the last several years, as sugarcane aphids have moved into the southern Great Plains, we have seen that, that those populations vary between years. And of course, we do know that they, they make it all the way up into western Kansas. And so it, it becomes a, you know, a really big problem for this region. And as we look at our silage crop, the, the sugarcane aphids, if those populations are not maintained, really can cause harvest issues, harvest delays. Over the last several years, we have done some research evaluating the impact of the sugarcane aphid on not just the forage in the field, but also the ensiled forage. And so we see that because of that feeding, we, at higher levels, we lose a significant amount of forage quality. Now, conversely, with our corn silage, we really see more of a tonnage issue with spider mite infestation. We don't necessarily see a reduction in forage quality or silage quality like we do with the sugarcane aphid. So I think that as we're moving into this period, though, and we 
are, are really evaluating the condition of the crop, we need to keep in mind that, yes, we're concerned about water, how much irrigation we have, but it really does become a, you know, an integrated system. We need to be scouting for our insects and paying attention to what's happening on that end because that can be very significant with regards to quality and quantity. Dr. Bell, as we point towards wrapping this up, any other final thoughts in terms of key things you think producers should think about or recognize as they look at forage production from a corn silage or sorghum silage perspective with limited precipitation or irrigation? Well, of course, you know, as I, I have focused on, you know, the crops that are intended for silage, but of course, you know, there, there does come a point where, you know, whether we have a hailed out corn crop or we have corn that's not necessarily going to make the yield that someone desires, those can become alternatives for silage, maybe an earlage. And so, you know, this is also a really good time because of the, the time of year that we're in to really start evaluating what are we doing with these other um, crops out there that are probably not going to make the, the grain yield that we want. Can they be used for forage. But I do think that as we move into this next winter, the winter of 2021, and we have not met probably the forage requirement, especially for the Southern Great Plains, we are going to have to start considering what are our other options. And that is, of course, where wheat really does come in and our small grains. Those small grains have the ability to fill that forage gap um, and we can make very good tonnage and very good, very good quality silage with our small grain crops as well. And so I do think that as we become um, more restrictive in our water supply due to those pumping uh, restrictions or just the declining well capacities, we are really going to have to start looking at expanding the, the forage production we have with, with our small grain forages as well, just because the, the irrigated acreage is continuing to decrease. And that is something that we've really seen over the last five years in the Texas Panhandle and moving north in the Texas Panhandle up into the Oklahoma Panhandle in Southwest Kansas is the amount of acreage that has been replaced by cotton. And we have seen um, that cotton acreage go from north of Amarillo from about 100,000 acres, you know, all the way um, to more than 500,000 acres. And so that's really been a significant increase in cotton acreage. A lot of that has come at the expense of wheat, but we've seen a lot of that come at the expense of our corn crop. And because farmers are having to split those circles and really look at how they're concentrating irrigation water. And so for that reason, you know, what are we gonna do to fill this forage gap? And it's probably gonna have to be with some small grains. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Bell. Yeah, thank you. Well, for more information on the content that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. Again, this is the first of a series of four podcasts focused on silage production and management for beef cattle. And those podcasts are really highlighting the topics that were discussed as part of the 2020 Silage for Beef Cattle webinar series that are also available through the beef.unl.edu website.